This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Check this out. It is free. No, I'm serious. It's free, 100%. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor then distributes that podcast for you, and you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from that podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. As uh, soon as I connect, I hear somebody getting excited about talking golf, so I came at the right time. <laughs> yeah, yes, sir. Yes, you did. Let's go. And we are back on Lauer After Hours. This is Mike Ryan Fan Account, and today we are joined by America's caddy, Michael Collins. All right, Michael Collins. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Just to give our listeners a a bit of an introduction to you that they might not be familiar with, you just started a new show on ESPN Plus called America's Caddy along with your ESPN radio show partner, Matthew Berry. Uh, and that is, you also basically, you have a show with him now called Maddie and the Caddy, correct? Yeah, that's our podcast. Our podcast okay. is Maddie and the Caddy. That's on ESPN. My radio show uh, on Sirius XM is with uh, PGA Tour Pro Pat Perez. That's called Out of Bounds. Okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I was I trying to- cars on Wednesdays. Like, I, <laughs> I do house cleanings on Mondays. <laughs> I got 37 jobs. I ain't scared. <laughs> I'll do whatever it takes. Well, look, just to, uh, I wanted to start off with something that I, I came across on your, your Twitter feed. Okay. Um, and it was, uh, Basically, uh, uh, you were quote tweeting a gentleman that the Levitard show uh, absolutely loves, is near and dear to their hearts. That is one Mr. Bomani Jones. Uh, he said, quote, Mike is the most entertaining thing about the PGA Tour. Seriously, I'm sure this is great. And you quote tweeted that and you said, for real though, Bo, the first time I was ever on your show, you said something about me that I still hold close to my heart. Quote, I didn't know there was a dude like that in golf. You introduced me to an audience that had never heard me before and embraced me. I just wanted, I wanted to start there because I am one of those people that <laughs> I, I didn't grow up watching golf. I have no real connection to it. I saw that tweet. Uh, I, it got put in my ear that you were going to uh, possibly be a guest with us. And you are one of the most entertaining, forget golf. <laughs> Forget golf. You're you're one of the funniest, most like like 
camera and audio, like magnetic personalities I've come across at ESPN. Um, I am all in watching golf if you're going to be a part of it. I'll, I'll Thanks, tell you man. that right now. Um, so I, I wanted to start there because I, I think for a lot of people that might not have grown up around golf, don't have an entry point to it. Uh, yeah. Not only uh, is is you're bringing a level of drip with your outfits and a level of uh, comedic, <laughs> like, you know, just humor. Uh, I ain't know, wearing plain old khakis and a white polo. I'm not doing hell that. No, you're not That's boring all. as hell. That is just I, not me. You know what? Look, I'll start with, i tell you what, I'll start with the Bomani thing. So here's how that happened. I had done a couple of radio interviews with a couple of other ESPN shows before, right? And I had never, Bomani was one of my favorite dudes. But he never had me on his show. Well, he had a different producer that was doing his show this time who had had me on a different show. So Bomani never wanted to talk about golf because he didn't like Like, he felt the same way most people do who aren't into golf. When you say sure. golf, they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> and I'll get to that part because I was the same way before, too. Sure, sure. Okay, but so Bomani's producer tells him, look, man, just get this guy. And he wouldn't tell him anything about me. So Bomani started off really skeptical, having no clue who I was, what I sounded like, what I looked like, none of that, right? So as soon as he brings me on, I had been listening to the segment before. So I just start going off on stuff. And Bomani didn't know my background from doing stand-up comedy for 20 years. So right. like being a sports fan and a comedian, I just started having fun because, I mean, that's that's who I am. Like, I can't help it. I don't. Sure. I don't, it's not. A, this is who I am. Like, I'm not you when you see me on an airport or walking in a store somewhere, whatever. I'm going to be the same person that I am like us talking right now. And so we start talking a little bit of golf and a little bit of sports and a lot about life and all kinds of stuff. And we're just having a blast together. And so by the end of it, like I got him kind of going, okay, cool, yeah, golf, and uh, tell me about some other guys should I be looking for, blah, which he would never have done before. Is what <laughs> right. so now, I got another interview that I got to do as soon as I hang up the phone with him. So we get off the phone, I'm in the car, and the, the interview happened the Monday after a Masters. Uh -huh. So I'm in the car, and, and I'm doing an interview with another radio station in Canada, and my phone starts blowing up, and it's three of my buddies that are texting me like, yo, Bomani's still talking about you. Oh, man. So while I was doing the interview in Canada, I was like, hey, it was great talking. I'm going through a bad area. <laughs> and I just hung up because <laughs> I got to go back because Bomani's my boy. I'm like, I got to hear. Right, I want to hear right. this. And I go back on and I hear Bomani saying that. He's telling his producer, why didn't you tell me about this dude, man? I can't believe there's somebody like this in golf. No one sounds like him. No one right, talks about right. golf like him, like this dude, and he works for us, and y'all never told, blah, 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 and, like, I'm hearing it, and it, it was making me feel so, like, it was good, it was, like, good, it had me welling up, Hell yeah. somebody like Bomani was talking so good about me, sure, and that it was, that I got him excited about golf, and don't you know, like, my Twitter then blew up, too, from his oh, listeners, and his listeners saying the same thing, like, man, I don't even like golf, but if that dude talks about golf, I'm in. And I was yeah. like, that's all I ask. If you give me a chance, because look, I come from the same place. When I was doing stand-up comedy, it was another comedian. And I mean, I didn't come to golf until I was in my probably early 20s because uh -huh. of another comedian. 
and I'm doing stand-up, and this dude who I respected was like, his name was Lee Schaefer. He's from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where I'm from. And okay. he's like, Mike, you got to play golf. And he would watch it on TV, and I started laughing at him. And I was like, the golfers are the dudes I used to chase home from junior high, because <laughs> those were the only dudes I knew I could beat. Like, if I was going to steal somebody's lunch money back in the day, I'm still golfer's lunch money, because I know they ain't doing nothing, right? <laughs> right. And then he was like, come on, man, come over and just watch a little. And I was like, why? I don't have narcolepsy. What do you think I got a sleep disorder? Why I got to watch golf? And he was, and then he told me, he was like, look, man, learn to play. And here's what he said. He goes, call a cop, because I was new doing comedy. So he right. goes, call up a comedy club and tell them, just ask him, can I come do five minutes on stage? Sure. Then call a comedy club and tell them you're going to be in the area playing golf. And ask him if, because you're in the area playing golf, if you can just stop by and maybe do five or just come to the club. Right. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I call up a comedy club. Hey, my name's Michael Collins. I was hoping I could, you know, come do five minutes and y'all take a look at me. And this is way back in the day. So they were like, nah, send a tape. And I was like, and I ain't send no, because I know nobody's going to watch it, right? Sure, so I'm sure. like, yeah, yeah, okay, hang up. So then two days later, I call back. Hey, can I talk to the manager? Yeah, sure. Manager comes on. Hey, my name's Michael Collins. I'm going to be in the area playing. I do stand-up comedy, too, all over the place, but I'm going to be over by your place because I'm playing golf that weekend. Blah, blah, blah. Is there any chance I could swing by and do five? And the general manager's like, absolutely. Where are you playing golf? You got room for another? You're like, you know, oh, wow. Room? Where are you wow. going to play? And I was like, oh, cool. Uh, tell you what, let me call you back in a day or two, and we'll set it up. And he was like, perfect. Let me know. Come on down. You can stop up and do five minutes. I hang up with Yo, Lee. You got extra clothes I can borrow. We need to go play right now. Let's go. Teach me, man. Show me what's up. I can't believe this bull crap worked. And he took me out to this little pitch and putt par three course. It was $2.50 to play. Uh-huh. And thank you. Here's the why you know karma is karma. Right. He's a he's lefty. He plays golf lefty. I throw righty and right righty, but I bat lefty and I play golf lefty. So Weird. he had clubs that I could use. If he had been the righty, I would have never played. But he had he had a, a couple of wedges and a putter because that's all you need at this little course. Sure. And he let me borrow it, so we go out there, walk around, and like everybody else, I watch it on TV and I was like, "Oh, this is so boring." And then you go out and try it, <laughs> and you're like, "Cause I played other sports, right?" So now I try to play golf, and I'm like, and we finish, and he goes, "What do you think?" And I was like, "I got five more dollars. Like you can go home because I'm gonna be here for a minute." Wow. I just kept on playing. That was it. That was it. That, that is true. Golf that is, is a, everything. It's in, I tell me and Matt Barry, you know, Maddie, well, everyone, it's Matt Barry, my podcast, my podcast co-host uh-huh. is not the fantasy football Matthew Barry. Right. Mine right. is the, my Matt Barry is the sports center anchor who does the college football thing. But right. me and Maddie, we've been saying to people from when we started the podcast, what's the one thing that Aaron Rodgers, Steph Curry, Mike Trout, Alex Ovechkin, and Justin Timberlake all got in common. They're all golf maniacs. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, Aaron Rodgers is not trying to get eight of his friends together to play baseball in in the football offseason. Yeah, that's so true. Steph Curry is not going to go play hockey, you know, when he ain't playing basketball. But you know what all of them do? They all play golf, and they're all in love with the game. And that's the cool thing is – when you go to other people and talk to them about their sport, they're like, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? You can tell they just flip into, yeah, that mode, you know, of right, that. Like, right. oh, I'm in the mode of I got to talk the right way about my sport. Blah. 
But if you talk to them about golf, they're like, yeah, and they're all in. And I was fascinated by that. And then, you know, once I really started being into the game of golf and I was lucky enough to get the caddy on the PGA Tour for 10 years, and it's like celebrities and athletes, stars in other sports look at golfers the same way we look at them. And that's sure. so freaky. It is so yeah. freaky <laughs> when like a superstar in another sport will come up and be like, yo, tell me about what Phil Mickelson is really like, man. You know? And you're like, right. <laughs> Like, that's I love amazing. You guys on TV, like, nah. That and, is know, the. It's crazy. That's the damn. That is the coolest origin story. Uh, that that's that's amazing. And to see to see where you're at now is uh, wow. It's not that real. is incredible. It's not I, real. I can't, I'm not I gonna lie. Every every day I wait for the alarm clock to go off so I can hit the <laughs> snooze button and be like, damn, I knew that shit wasn't real. Well, I knew it was I'm, a dream. I'm gonna I'm gonna save this question uh, till close to the end, but. When they inevitably make a movie about your life, a comedy about your life, I want to know who you want to play. Don't answer me yet. I want. I need okay. to get to some of these questions because we okay. we've got a bunch of questions for you here. So I want I want to get through to them. We're gonna throw it out to the gentleman that I believe reached out to you. He goes by Beat Count on Twitter. Uh, Beat, go ahead with your first question, my man. Michael, what's going on, man? It's uh, at Beat Count on Twitter. Nice to what's see up, you, man. Good to see you too. I'm I'm here in uh, I'm here in Frisco, Texas, the future home of the PGA in America. So, whenever we get this place all built up, your town soon. There's going to be a major play in your town when they're all done. It's it's like five minutes away from my house. So when when it is built up, you you come you come through here, man. I I got you taken care of. Don't don't threaten me with a good time. I'll be there. (laughs) I'll tell you all the time. Don't make offers like that because I'm that guy. Like. You know how some people are all like, oh, thanks, man. I'll definitely look you up. And you know you ain't never going to hear from him again. You say that to me, bro. Uh, Mick, open the door, bro. I'm here. I told you. Well, I told you. Well, you, got, you got my number, so all right. seriously. <laughs> um, all right. But let's say an average handicap 20-year-old has unlimited time, unlimited resources for the best coaches, the best trainers, the best equipment, top of the line. How long would it take for that 20-year-old kid to get his cue card and make the tour. Not necessarily win on tour, but make it to the tour. When you say average 20-year-old kid, are we talking about a 20-year-old kid that's been playing junior golf? Or yeah, so, just so somebody like an average handicap. starting out? Yeah, but I'll, see, that's a... 10, 15 handicap, you, uh, you know, bogey, bogey golfer. Ooh, a 15 handicapper that's 20 years old that wants to get on the PGA Tour? Yeah, he has unlimited time, unlimited resources. How many years that's would not it take? What, yeah, that don't honestly, man. This is the and that's the thing about this game. That don't matter. It don't matter. It doesn't matter how much time or money you got. That doesn't matter. To get to the to get to the highest level, to to get to to get to the PGA tour, it's you can have as much money and and resources as far as getting equipment and coaches and stuff. But you can't teach desire. You can't teach want. You can't teach grind. Like I, I can't, I can't buy sunshine, and I also can't pay for, I can't pay for a kid to go out and practice when the weather is nasty. Like I can't make him chip and putt in conditions that are horrible if he don't want to go do it, or she don't want to go do it. Like if somebody doesn't want to go put the work in then the money and the resources don't matter. You know, 
And we, I laugh about this in pro-ams with the coaches and stuff like that who have very well-off clients who will call one of these high-profile coaches and be like, man, I got this big golf tournament coming up this weekend. I'm going to come spend a week with you, you know, getting ready. I'm buying a whole new set, and we're going to get fitted and stuff. And you're like, do you really think that you're going to go from, like, not being prepared to you're going to be ready to play in a tournament in a week? It does golf. Golf's not like that. It doesn't life in the for the most part, life's not like that either. But golf especially. You know what I mean? Because you know, you know someone when they're when when they're younger, you can see someone who goes, I don't know what they're gonna be awesome at, but they're gonna be awesome at something. And you can see other people that are like, you can see they're gonna get far because of what their family has. And some of the doors that are going to be open to them, but are they ever going to be elite? Nah, probably not. And that's the question. You're asking, can someone be elite just because of have behind them? And my answer to that is no. That that that's not the part that matters when it comes to golf. And it's why so many so many people that are elite in all aspects of life gravitate to it is because the golf ball does not care how much money you have. The golf ball does not care the labels of, that are on your clothes or the type of shoes you got on or the coach that you had working with you. Like, you can't fake it to that. So the work that you put in and then the desire that you have and the balance of being able to know how to hit a great shot but then not try too hard so you do something stupid, like, those, that whole balancing act is – crazy so i would say it's the same as let's say somebody is a plus two handicap now and they're 45 47 years old because we i mean i know i got friends now that are really good golfers and they're like you think i could get out onto the pga tour champions and i tell them no i don't not now and like what do you mean man i could shoot five under on my home course all the time I'm like, cool, but do you not remember that the dudes that you're now thinking you're going to go out and get an opportunity to play against are the guys who are on tour now? So you sitting there playing, I can shoot 400 (laughs) at my home court. Can you shoot 400 on a PGA Tour event? Because that's what them dudes who are coming to the Champions Tour are doing, and you ain't doing that. So, you know what I mean? I'm not – I'm certainly not trying to be the ugly stepmom and be like, Cinderella. <laughs> not only can you not hear the music, but you ain't even got a fairy godmother got a ticket to the ball. So <laughs> that's, that's the, that's a good answer. I, I yeah, think, so I that's think... why I kept asking about deep count. That's why I kept asking you about the player. Like when you say if, if it's a regular 15 to 20 handicap starting at 20 years old, man, that's, it's almost, I'm not saying it's not possible because sure. you know I don't I don't believe nothing's possible but the odds are so stacked against you because of the people that you have to now it's like when you're trying to win a golf tournament and you say I'm in 12th place you know going into Sunday but it'd be easier if you were in 4th place cuz then you only got to beat 3 people so, but right. if you're starting behind 11 people man, you're already behind the eight ball because the odds are one of those other people are going to light it up too. So you not sure. only got to beat 11 people, you got to beat one person that's got their A game. So it's it's just a really gargantuan mountain to have to climb. There really are those intangible qualities. Having the privilege 
of unlimited resources and unlimited coaching is nice, but without those intangibles combined with that, doesn't amount to a whole lot. I feel you on that answer. It just means you're going to have real nice equipment, real nice clothes, and get to play on real nice courses. That's about it. Exactly. You're not going to be practicing off a mat in your garage. All right. Up next, we've well, got hey, Jeff. Tony Finau was practicing off a mat in his garage, and he's made a couple millions. He's on all right. Okay. All right. Maybe Exception to the rule there. That proves the rule, right? All right. Jeff, you are up next. I believe you got a, a question about drinking. Uh, I do indeed. Uh, hey, caddies, Jeff. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> it's ought to be good about drinking. Uh, <laughs> I'm liking where this is going already. Um, so um, <laughs> I got a question for you, but I got to guess at the answer. So before you answer, let me get my guess out. Okay. So the question, um, the question is, who and I don't want to throw you under the bus here, so if you don't want to it's be a okay. certain person, that's okay. But yes, uh, who on sorry, <laughs> who on tour or on the champions tour can go out there and just knock back like twelve beers and still shoot six under? And I guess this isn't beers, but my guess is that Miguel Angel Jimenez could drink a ton of nineteen forty two and still play a pretty damn good round. But what's your answer? John Daly. No one no one beats John Daly. <laughs> John Daly is n- number one. He is right there. He's there's only one face on the drinking golfing Mount Rushmore. And Hell that's yeah. John Daly. John Daly has John Daly has our, in his book and on TV. So I'm not saying anything that people don't know. But on the PGA tour, you're not allowed to drink during the tournament. Daly has shattered that so many times. It's not even funny. <laughs> Where he would he would get so hammered the night before, and then show up and know that the hangover was starting. So at the turn, run into the clubhouse and guzzle like five beers. Oh so shit! So he wouldn't get a hangover, and then go keep playing the back nine. And he said he's. I'm pretty sure he's admitted to winning a tournament, being pretty hammered. At a time, and this is at a time when when drinking is prohibited. <laughs> right, right. PTA oh. tour. So, yeah, he's no one's better. No one's better than him. I mean, I know there are a few guys. One of the first guy I ever caddy for on the PGA tour, Robert Gomez, played a tournament. Thought he missed the cut on Friday, and went went out Friday night, just drinking like there was no tomorrow. And then someone at the bar was like, man, I'm surprised you're here. And they're like, why? I'm not going to leave tonight. He goes, because you're first off tomorrow morning. (laughs) And he went to the golf course and shot like four under on the front nine, still drunk. But then the hangover hit and shot like six over on the back nine. When when the wall Mm -hmm. happened, whack. (laughs) <laughs> well thanks a lot man by the way by the way uh for your animal fries try well done animal fries next time to take it really? they're a little crispier yeah, yes yes okay little... okay yeah it is yeah because i'm all about crispy oh hell yeah they well that oh. tea then man big time uh, all right well done animal fries yeah 
Because Soggy Bacon is the most disappointing. It's the most, I know, man. It's like the worst. And the worst part is, because it's bacon, you still won't say no. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're like, oh, this bacon's <laughs> not crispy. Stop eating it. Shut up. Mind your bacon business, man. <laughs> I'm not gonna All right. still bacon, stupid, but it ain't crisp. It ain't as good as it could have been. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to throw it to a, a gentleman that has spent some time at ESPN. He's actually – he's making us feel all credentialed and, like, actually, like, we got some gravitas in our midst. Uh, that is one Mr. Charlie Hume. Charlie, go ahead with your question, my man. Yeah, you know, Michael, I got to say, first and foremost, I got to thank everyone for hosting me because I'm not a regular part of this. I was a guest a few weeks ago, but I I got a DM that said, hey, Michael's going to be on today talking golf. Do you want to join? I was like, you know what? I do want to nerd out on golf with Michael. So, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll hop in and join for a few. So, yeah. Golf geek on, man. That's right. That's right. I got got two PGA Tour-related questions for you, and I got one a little lighter and fair. One, I'd love to kind of get, you know, maybe a little more of a deeper answer on it. But first of all, just last weekend, what do you think that group was like with Phil watching Bones carry for JT when you <laughs> got the win? That's question one. Okay. And, and question question two I got for you is um, we saw Tony Finau. I, I, I love Tony Finau, by the way. We saw Me him too. You know, get rid of the caddy a couple weeks back, go to his coach, talk yeah. a little about putting issues. But, you know, obviously a lot of people talk about is, is that a mental win. thing? Does he have a killer instinct? And I'm wondering – for, for, you know, on a caddy change perspective, you know, is it ever, does it ever come into play from a caddy where, you, where you're really walking through the mental side of things with guys? I know for you, maybe sometimes it was humor, but when you got a guy that's in a mental rut, you feel like you don't have a killer instinct. How do you kind of bring that out of him from a caddy perspective? Okay. So I'll do the fill one first. Um, it was as a guy who caddied on tour for 10 years, nothing. And I mean, nothing makes you feel better than when you and your player do better than you and your ex. Because that's what it's, it's literally <laughs> exactly like that. It is exactly like when you walk into a party and see your ex there and the person that you brought is better looking than the person they brought and everybody knows it, right? And then, because then you're like, hey, what's up? Good to see you. How you doing? You doing good? That's nice. Fantastic, right? <laughs> and you know, if you're the person who got the person that's uglier, then you're like, I'm good. I'm good. Good to see you too. <laughs> Everything's all right. It's good. It's good. And you know, you go want to get out of here. I don't we don't need to be at this party no more. We should go. Right? <laughs> Why do you want to leave? Just get in the car. We, just, we gotta go. <laughs> so their breakup was um, not a good one. Mm. Not not necessarily. Um, they're not hanging out. They're not going to get there. They're not. But that's look. That's if you've been with somebody for twenty five years, mm-hmm. then if you're going to break, it's probably not going to be. It's not like like the the female breaking up with his caddy is a little bit different than Bones and and Mickelson. Um, so. As successful as Tony had been with his guy, you could see they just weren't able to keep breaking through, breaking through. Now, I love Tony to death, but I know exactly what you're saying about like that killer instinct thing, because it's like, look, as a caddy, I can put you in position to win a lot of times. But when it comes down to it, I'm not hitting shots and Mm -hmm. I'm not hitting putts. And you got to do that. And we saw Fina was in position 
with his coach on the back, yeah. who also is a good played golf on a professional level. He knows he knows golf at the highest level, so he'd be a great caddy as well. And Tony still couldn't win with him. So that's like yes. you want to have a guy who can get you over the finish line. But one of the reasons that I fell in love with caddying, the reason that I still to this day, like when people call me and say, hey, my caddy has something happen, he's sick or needs a week off or whatever, like I'll still jump back on the bag. And thank thank goodness ESPN is still cool with me doing that because I told them, like, that still calls me. And it's because of that psychology. It's because right. – a great caddy is not just knowing numbers and keeping the clubs mm-hmm. clean and keeping the grips right and everything. And it's not about, even for me, people would ask my players all the time, like, oh, Mike must be cracking jokes all the time. And they're like, nah, he's serious on the golf course. Mm-hmm. The only time I would be funny is if it was necessary. And that's what I love. It's like, as a caddy, knowing the right thing to say at the right time, and then more importantly, knowing when not to say anything in a moment when, 90% of people would want to jump in and cheerlead knowing right. to step step back. And if that dude's in a bad place, let him sit there and see for a minute. Mm. Let him, let him go through the process for a minute. Now there are times when those moments happen and it, you do have to jump in and say something, but it's such a razor's edge of psychology mm-hmm. for a caddy knowing what your man needs, what your player needs in each moment that's out there to try and get them to play the best golf they can. And that's like, if you got a guy who doesn't have his A game, that's when caddies earn their money. Like not for the guys that are playing their best. That's easy. Like then all I'm doing when a guy's playing his best, I just give you the number and we both know what the club is. That's easy. But when you're not playing your best and you know, you're not playing your best, then what am I saying to you? And what are we talking about? to get the best out of your game for where it is. And that that kind of psychology really matters going forward for for caddying. And that's why, you know, now nowadays, it's not like when I first started. When I first started caddying, the only thing you heard players say was I and me. And now all you hear is players say us and we. Us, yeah. And it's that huge. tells you something. And the, the guys who win are the guys who are a team. And the guys who don't win are the guys who are still I and me. Yeah. Hey, well, I'm going to let you hang with uh, the rest of the crew. And now I'm going to bounce out. But I also wanted to kind of echo some of the stuff said earlier where I just want to thank you for the ambassador you are for the game of golf. Because I think we're finding out now, you know, during quarantine where a lot of people are coming back to the game and realizing it's more accessible than you think it is, that this is such a huge time for the game. So you're you're truly – you're an amazing ambassador for it. So Thanks, man. Thank you. Appreciate that, Charlie. Enjoy, y'all. Yeah. Yeah, Have it was good, good that golf came back, man. That's the only Ooh. reason I had this opportunity was like, yo, there's nothing else to fall, so it's me and nothing. Listen, I, I, I will say this. One thing I'll, I'll let him take over is uh, I'd never broken 80 until about two weeks ago, and I played a course up in Wisconsin, banded dudes, and I had best caddy of all time, shot a 74. And I was like, if that, is, if that doesn't sell you on caddies, I don't know what does. I was like, it's, yeah. I can't go back to playing terrible golf <laughs> now. I, 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 I'm texting Tori. I like, I, where are you, man? I, I need you on the bag. I got nothing now. <laughs> uh, it's different. It's, it's, I'll tell you what, anyone who's never golfed with a caddy before, it's, it's not, it's different. Do it's it. It's different having somebody out there. Yeah, it's 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 really cool. It's it is really a team. Cool. It's a team. Of course, yeah, of yeah. course. You if you're playing on a course you've never played before, having a guy there telling you where to hit it 
you know, and then someone encouraging you if you don't hit it in the right place and stuff like right. it makes it makes a big difference. But I also tell you this: having a bad caddy will ruin yeah. golf for you. Having oh. a bad caddy can ruin golf for you. So yeah, yeah. yeah. get a well, good one. All right, y'all. Enjoy it, Michael. See y'all. Charlie Charlie Hume, host of ESPN's number one challenge podcast at ESPN, and uh, he he's he's busy climbing the ladder at Ride Home Productions right now. So I'm sure he's got a million things to go produce. Charlie, we we appreciate you stopping by. Seriously, man. Appreciate y'all having me. Enjoy the time, Michael. See you anytime, man. Anytime. Uh, Just real quick, touching on that that caddy aspect. Uh, I liken it to being a crew chief in NASCAR. Like, you're not the one out there driving, but that driver relies on you for the ins and outs of that entire race, the track, how the car is acting, everything. So I, I feel you on, on that, everything you just said right there, even though I don't come from the world of golf. So that was a fantastic answer. All right. Up next, we're going to go to Aaron in Memphis. He's got a uh, question about TPC Southwind, I believe. Go ahead, Aaron. Yes, I do. So I am uh, an individual that uh, loves Memphis I'm from the Memphis area. And so actually, mine's actually two parts. Uh, I didn't think about the second one until just now. But anyway, first off, why the hell is TPC Southwind on the tour? Um, I don't understand. Because FedEx, FedEx and because TPCs, here's the deal. The PGA Tour has a deal with the TPCs and they play them for free. Ah, okay. So it's the TPC network. So any golf course that the PGA Tour plays on that is not a TPC, they have to pay for. So if when we go to Memorial, they the tour has to pay Jack to play his golf course. When we play the Arnold Palmer, the tour has to pay to go there. All those courses that the tour now, not the majors, because the PGA Tour doesn't run a major, but regular PGA Tour events. The reason that they love going to TPCs is because they play there for free. Okay. Well, that, that answers that question for me. That makes a lot more sense. So I guess on the other hand, as far as the TPCs go, where would you, where would you put Southwind? And also the, I guess the follow-up to that is also Memphis related. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the golfer named Braden Thornberry. I think he's on the Corn Ferry Tour right now, but he's he got an, now, yeah. Uh, he's got an outrageous swing. Actually, used the same instructor that he used to use. But w- w- is his swing one of the strangest in 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 golf right now? Compared to Matthew Wolf, no. I mean it's. <laughs> It, but you know what? Here's the thing. And this is where you made a smart move if you have the same coach as him. You know why? Because the guys who worked on, like, Jim Furyk, the guys who work with Matt Wolf, the guy who works with you and with Braden, those are great coaches. You know why? Is because unlike a lot of other coaches that have their own method and they try and put their swing on you, a coach that works with players who have wild swings is not trying to change their swing. So that coach is not going to try and change your swing. What he's going to do is see what you have and make your swing the best that it can be so you can just repeat it. Because that's basically what it all golf is, is can you swing your swing under pressure and just repeat it over and over and over again? Who cares what it looks like? If you can hit the ball the exact same way, the exact same time, 
every single shot, whether it's the first shot of the tournament, the fifth shot of the tournament, or the hundredth shot to win the tournament, if you can repeat your swing and that coach helps you repeat that swing, you got a great coach. So as far as TBC South Wing goes, man, oh. <laughs> Let me put it. I, okay, you know what? Because you know I'm honest, right? I'm, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, so I'll, I'll answer your question with a question. Have you ever heard, ever, 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 have you ever heard someone say, yo, you know, the course on my bucket list, TBC Southwind. <laughs> Ever, right? No, no, Never. I haven't. And Never. if I did, I call him a liar. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> or if you did, you're like, where are you starting at? Like, where You haven't played a lot. You haven't played a lot of golf like that. Oh, so, yeah. All right. Fantastic answer. And we do appreciate your honesty. Uh, Michael. All right, we're going to move it along. We've got Pamela. I believe she's got a question about one of her favorite towns. Go ahead, Pamela. Hi. What were you eating when I joined? I just want to know what you was grubbing on because it looked a little like ice cream and I was like, oh man. It was was macaroni and cheese with crispy bacon in it. Yes! Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Okay. We like to eat over here. Yeah. Okay, so this is going to sound like a lie made up to flatter you, and I swear it's the truth. Okay. My favorite city in America that is not New Orleans is Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Come on. <laughs> you had a plane with an Amish guy? I'm obsessed with all things Amish. I don't think it works like that. I know it doesn't, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. <laughs> With Pennsylvania, I'm obsessed with all oh. things Amish. Are we you go serious? to Lancaster. Yeah, we go to Lancaster multiple times a year to do Lancaster things. Um, I'm, I'm gonna sure- throw the compliment right back at you because to this day, when people ask me my favorite city in the United States, it is New Orleans. I'm not gonna lie. See, it is I- New Orleans. That city, that city, that city has a heartbeat and a soul to it that no. Mm-hmm. There's no other city in the United States that's like it. It's 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 one I of the agree. places and you that can I. Be anything you want to be there. Let me tell you this. So I, th- <laughs> my 11 year old and I. Well, he's 13 now. He was 10 or 11 at the time, and we went there for a football game, and ended up. I I've been fortunate enough to be friends with with Coach Sean Payton, who's one of the most wonderful people in the entire world. Wow. I'm an Eagles fan. He knows it. But he was an Eagles quarterback during the strike year. But long story short, my son was not a New Orleans fan. He was a Seattle Seahawks fan. And we were going there to see Seahawks New Orleans a couple years back. And we got to go to the facility, New Orleans facility on Saturday for Saturday walkthrough. And by the end of the walkthrough, my son had last play of practice, caught a pitch out, and ran it in for a touchdown with Drew Brees. Oh my God! Yeah, exactly. And uh, <laughs> the Seahawk that I had reached out to, so just to say hi, never called me back again. Karma. So my son now is not only all in New Orleans, but the best part was the Saints win the game on the last play. And the person who I had reached out to and never caught, got back to me 
caught a pass in the end zone with one foot inbounds and the second foot out of bounds, and that's why they lost. Oh, my God. So I believe in karma. And this is how beautiful that city is and was to my son. When we were packing Monday morning to leave, to drive home, he's crying. He's cr literally crying. And I'm like, man, what's the matter? And he goes, Dad, we should just live here. Let's me and you just live here. Oh, God. And I said to him, I was like, what about your mom? What about your little brother? And he <laughs> looks me dead in the eye and goes, we can FaceTime him. <laughs> and he was dead serious. He was dead serious. So I was like, not only had I loved that town before, because I've caddied there, played in the Zurich Classic so many times. That city and that golf tournament and just everything about it. I got a really good friend, Jack, one of the attorneys lives there. And it's just like, that is my my favorite city in the entire United States because it has such a heartbeat and soul of its own that's unlike anywhere else in the world. Yep. So, And the fact that you are fascinated by the Amish, I, I mean, I guess I could understand because if... New Orleans, where the devil might party, then <laughs> like you might need like if you go up there. I just need the Amish and the Mennonites around me. I just need the to balance. Feel, I need the to balance. feel the goodness of the horse and buggies. <laughs> and I need this Lebanon sweet Bologna and shoot oh, pie yeah. and whoopie yeah, pies. That's, that's so but you know it's the shopping. That's what you like because all the factory outlets that are out there, then there's no tax on clothes. Well, and that Kitchen Kettle Village that y'all have going on there is yeah. so amazing. And the Lancaster Central Market, that huge farmer's market that's been like running since the early 1700s. It's yes. amazing. I used to eat raw horseradish there. There was a guy that made his own horseradish fresh right there. And when I was a little kid, my mom and I would walk down there because that's where we get all our fruits and vegetables. And this dude would hack off a piece of horseradish thinking that he was going to mess with some little kid. And I would sit there chewing it up, just eating it oh, raw. I love it. I love it. Amazing. Well, I was going to ask you if you had any fun or interesting Amish stories or there's such an interact, a, a comfortable and weird yes. interaction between the yes. Amish and the non-Amish who live in that area. I wondered if you had anything you could share. Yeah, I had, I had full Amish neighbors. No electricity, horse and buggies and stuff. And I always laugh because it's like, oh, wow. you can't have electricity or TV, but you can watch my TV. Like, I, yeah. you don't have your own car, but I can give you a ride to the mall. Okay, that's cool. But I tell you what, like, there is there is not a harder working people in the United States. I tried when I was, was probably 12, 11 or 12. Um, I tried to, cause they used to grow tobacco for the uh, cigar tobacco and pipe tobacco is what they grow in Lancaster County. And I tried to spend a weekend harvesting tobacco with my Amish neighbors. Like my grandfather was like, man, it'd be a good experience for you. You know, you get a real, you want to know what a real hard day's work is. And these, these, they're going to do it for the whole end of the summer. And so I didn't last the day. I didn't last one day <laughs> trying to like put these, it was ridiculous. So, and then the other thing that I love about all of my neighbors that were up there was um, I had, I'm a herpetologist as well. So all oh, wow. of my snake and lizard cases were all built by my neighbor. 
because he did work woodwork there. And their woodwork is some of the most solid that you can get anywhere. And it's really, yep. it can be really high end, but it's amazing to see how, how amazing and beautiful that they make things. So he made these really nice snake cases for me that it was beautiful to look at, but also easy to get in and get animals out and clean and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, my, my Amish experiences have been nothing but phenomenal. And so I don't, have you seen, there's a show on Hulu called pure. Uh-uh, haven't seen it. All right. So I'm going to give everyone another excuse to get the subscription to Disney plus ESPN, <laughs> ESPN plus and Hulu for $12.99 hey, a month. You great get all plug. three of them. So, that's what I'm saying. Like ESPN Plus, you get me for America's <laughs> Caddy for like right? $4. Then with Disney Plus, all the Marvel, all the Disney yep, movies, yep. Star Wars. But uh, Hulu has a show called Pure. And it is it is what happens if um, the Mennonite community has to get involved with the Mexican cartel. Whoa. Exactly. Whoa. I was like, those are two things that don't normally go wow. together. No, not like, at all. Let me give this one episode. Oh, bro. It's called Pure. I'm telling you, holy cow. And it's Mennonites and the Mexican cartel. I'm sold. Yep. That's, that sounds incredible. Thank you um, so much. Yeah, when I come down to New Orleans, we'll have to meet up at Mother's. We will do guy, it. Yeah, Mothers and Two Jacks are my favorites. And, of course, like, I got a table. This is how I know New Orleans loves me back. I got a standing table at Acme Oyster House. So, Oh, shit. Yeah. And that's the only – New Orleans is the only town in America where I'll eat oysters. I'll go – I will go a year. royalty down oysters. there, my man. Yeah, I, I won't eat oysters. No, I don't know about that, but I won't eat <laughs> oysters anywhere else. And then, probably because I eat so many of them. That, you know, <laughs> after New Orleans for a week, you want oysters? No, no, no. Oh, oysters. Hey, so, somebody, somebody's paying their mortgage when you come to town, apparently. When I'm you, definitely, when you get... I'm putting some oyster shuckers kids through college. <laughs> yes, I can't you do are. that. Uh, by the way, we're going to, we're totally going to figure out what Seahawks player uh, uh, lost with one foot out and one foot in. Uh, to lose that game, we're we're gonna do some reconnaissance. We're, we're gonna we're gonna. I don't like that to throw out. any of my look. I'm, I don't <laughs> like to throw any of my friends under the bus because who knows? Like, here's the deal. I don't know what the circumstances were. You right, know what I mean? Right. Like, oh, if no, something crazy going on course. and you can't get back, like I don't expect <laughs> you. Or you know, you know, whatever. All I know a is mil- I, I sent two text happens. messages out, right. and coach hit me back immediately. And then, like, they went above and beyond for me and my son. Like, they didn't have to do that. I did a video, and I got emotional about it, too, because it was like, I love you, Saints, and I hate you. I love you because you gave my son an experience that, like, most kids who have experiences like that, they don't live long. You know what I mean? Like, I just got a regular kid. Like, he's just a regular dude like me. And the fact that he got to do that. But I hate you because now my son will never love my team. My son will never root for the Eagles, ever. <laughs> no, no. And he won't. Saints, Saints die hard for life. That's it. Absolutely. Game over. This is game oh, only, over. Time, only time I've ever been to New Orleans, I randomly ran into most deaf on the street. 
said dapped him up like it said what's up to him nah. uh he spun around he was dressed to the nines just looked like he just stepped out of just you know wardrobe or something it was the coolest experience i was starstruck for a second like i said he dapped me up spun around kept it moving and that was that only time i ever been there so man i never met most guys <laughs> like he's on it that's one of my that's one of my favorite people in the whole world mine too mine too yeah. absolutely all right we're gonna go out to uh uh, our favorite dignitary, our favorite public servant, that is one, uh, Mayor Matt Santini of Cartersville, Georgia. Mayor Matt, you were up, my man. Michael, thank you so much for your time tonight. Pleasure to talk with you. And, and thank you on the outset for uh, referencing the boring-ass white polo shirt that I put on for you tonight. So that was, <laughs> that was, that was really nice. I appreciate that. And I, thank, you for oh, talking about, thank you for talking about the Saints, too, because as a Falcons fan, that, that, that goes real well as well. Uh, be glad, I hey, you better you, be and, glad there ain't nobody from the Patriots on this tonight. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? And do yeah. you have plain kid? You have plain khaki pants on? Uh, I well, I'm not wearing any pants because I knew you were going to be. You know, we wouldn't. Bam! See, then you're winning. Pants. You're winning. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my question: You kind of touched on this with Charlie. My original question was, what golf course do you know better than any other? But let me let me kind of tweak that to kind of say, how much does that really matter when you deal with the psychological side? And where did you get your acumen for the psychological side? Um, knowledge on a golf course probably matters. The, it matters a lot as long as they haven't made changes to the golf course. So a course like where they with the TBC that we play in Louisiana, that one, that one matters a lot because they don't make a lot of changes to it. So when you get to places like there, when you get to places like Augusta, if they haven't done any kind of changes to the greens or anything like that, then experience really, really matters. It matters a lot. It matters a lot because a perfect example, the very first week that I caddied for Scott Piercy was at the John Deere Classic. And it was only the second time he had ever played there. And so the third, the third hole was a par three up the hill. Um, and he had an uphill putt and I knew this putt, what it did. And he had missed the putt on number two and I didn't step in and even offer to read it for him. Cause I kind of wanted to see, it was our first week together, but I saw he misread the putt and hit the putt where he wanted to, how he wanted to, and it missed badly. So I knew, okay, he doesn't know these greens. So he was not in a great headspace at the time. So we get up on the third hole. We got an eight-foot putt from par that really matters, and it's uphill. And I see him lining up the putt, and I know he's not lining it up correctly. So I step in behind him, and I say, pro, what you got here? And he goes, I got this on the right edge. And I go, nope. Just like, And he looks at me like, what did, did you say no to me? And I go, pro, this is a left-edge putt. It goes left first, and then it's coming back to the right. If you want this to go dead center, put this on the left edge. And he was in a place because he didn't read the last green correctly where he looked and looked at the line and then looked at me and went, okay. And he hit it on the left edge, and it went a little bit left, and it came back to the right and dropped dead center. And then he looked at me, and he goes, because it was our first week together, he goes, you didn't tell me you could read greens too. And I looked at him <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, some Christmas presents are better open Christmas morning. 
<laughs> and we laughed and finished top 10 that week, right? Because that right there established the trust between us and whatnot. So that was a big thing. But that goes into the psychological part of it. And that was the, I knew from the beginning, and thank goodness because of how my caddy career started, this is why I fell in love with the psychology of golf. The first hole I caddy. Robert Gomez calls me up one week and he tells me the, the 1999 and he calls me and he goes, Mike, I'm playing like crap. I'm not having fun. My caddy quit. I got to play this Nike tour event. And I don't just, will you come caddy for me? I want to remember how to have fun again on the course. And that's where in my mind, it was like, cool comedian going to be out there joking around, having a good old time. <clears throat> we get to this course in, in uh, Louisiana and the course is underwater. No, the pro-am gets washed out. There's no Tuesday practice. They let us have a cart on Wednesday late afternoon to just drive and look at the course. We weren't allowed to hit a shot. We get on the first tee on Thursday. I got the bib on and it's the real deal. And I have no clue what I'm doing. It's a par five downhill. Gomez comes over and he starts taking the driver out. And I go, hey, yo. Don't hit it in the bunker down there because I don't know how to rake like a pro. Cool. And he looks at me like, and in my mind, I'm like, why, why is he looking at me like that? And of course he hits it right in the bunker and he comes over, slams the club down in the bag. And I walk over and I just told you not to hit it in that bunker, man. And he goes, you can't say that. That's all I'm going to focus on. I'm going to hit it right. And I go, now you tell me what to say and what not to say. So I'm like, just in that moment, I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like reverse psychology, kind of weird, kind of mental bullcrap. So we get down to the bunker and and I go, man, what's the play? What are you going to do? And it's the part five. And he's like, I'm going to take a three wood. I'm going to hit it in a front green side bunker and get up and down for birdie. And I looked at him and I was like, um, listen, fool, I just told you I can't rake like a pro. And you tell me you're going to hit it from this bunker to that. And I'm going to have to rake two bunkers in the first one. So I was like, if you hit it in that bunker too, I'm going to call immigration and tell them you're Mexican behind and ain't got no papers and you're getting kicked out. <laughs> and he gave me this smirk look, jumped in, called this shot. And as soon as he hit it, he's posing because he know, and it goes right in the front green side bunker. And then turns and looks at me. Give me this smart aleck look. I put the bag down and I was like, security this dude ain't got no green card <laughs> and he's like get your hands back over here and then i was like oh shoot there's other golfers like and i look over and the two other golfers and their caddies are like what in the hell have we gotten into <laughs> but that moment in itself was like that was part of the psychology you know and then it carried over when i caddy for omar uresti in q school and uh, i'll never forget that because he told me before the week started, he goes, I've never make it, I've never made it through Q school on the West Coast. And in my head, I'm like, that's the attitude you're starting with? Like, we got no chance. So I told him, I was like, you're making it through this year, because I've never been to Q school and I don't know, I don't know loss. That like I don't play that. We're getting right. through. And he looked at me, because I said it to him like, this is fact. This is period. And he looked at me like, okay, all right, then we'll do it. And so at the end of it, when we finished, every single hole, I had to make it, I had to make him, somebody calling my phone in my room. 
Hold on. <laughs> You're all good. Keep that in. We just hit like yeah. a fast forward button. We got to keep that in. Yeah. This dude is the best, you guys. So good. There are ghosts in the machine here in my room. That was creepy as hell. <laughs> my phone just went on speaker all by itself. Weird. Um, yeah, that's really weird. Oh, they, they're watching. They're watching. <laughs> but the whole week, uh, Mayor Matt, I was saying the whole week that I was there with Omar, like, he had to see me as, like, having no emotion. Like, yeah, of course. Like, this is what we do, man. This, I don't want to hear it. And, like, the last day he started to have a meltdown. And in the middle, probably on the fifth or sixth hole, I just slammed the bag down and cursed him out. And because I said, I was like, we're not doing this, dude. We're not doing this. I refuse. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. Like, you're going to hit shots and we're playing like we do every single day. Like, we're, I don't care what, the, I don't care what this all means. It's just golf. We're going to, me and you are going to play golf. Like we're out having fun. And that's it from now on. I don't want to hear nothing else. And that's what we did. And I had to hide all of the anxiety and emotion that I had inside of me because he already had it. So if we both carry, we lose. He's unsure, but looks at me and sees calm and cool and like no big deal, like, so what? This is what we do. Like that transferred to him and and it worked. The last hole, man, we made a, he made a two putt from 65 feet to make make his card by, by one shot. And he came over and he hugged me when he got the ball out of the hole. He just came over and he gave me a hug and he whispered in my ear. Thanks, man. And as soon as he said that. I walked off the green, sat on the floor of a golf cart and cried my eyes out. Oh, wow. All that emotion could finally come out. And it was just like and then the fact that like the fact that he appreciated and knew what I did to make sure that he got through and stuff too it was just overwhelming but it's, it was also like one of those moments where you go i love this game you know and right. i don't smoke i don't smoke but i literally <laughs> sat on the floor of that golf cart and had a cigarette in each hand <laughs> and i told him too i was oh, we ain't never coming back here again brian never don't ever make me go through this again <laughs> It was it was horrible and awesome at the same time. Well, thank you for your time and thank you for the energy that you bring to golf. And uh, you, somebody that's a weekend hacker, uh, you, you you certainly make the the game with that much more enjoyable to be a part of. So thank you. Thanks, man. It means a lot to me. Thank All right. you. All right, uh, Michael. By the way, like we still have a few questions left. If you need to go, please. No, man. Come on. Please, tell, well, we could not be more appreciative of your time. You were being so gracious with us. Uh, we're going to uh, actually throw it back to Beep Count. Uh, he had a couple questions for you tonight. Go ahead, Beep. All right. Um, so my wife and I, we just had our second baby Beep. Uh, uh, about, congrats, man. About two weeks ago. Thanks, man. Congrats. Um, this is uh, our That's second That's why it's daughter. so dark and you're talking like you on jazz radio. I gotta be be real quiet because if if I wake the baby up, I'm never gonna see boobs again ever. Seriously, (laughs) you you ain't you ain't kidding. Um, I know, man. I've been there. (laughs) So, what's uh, up and coming LPGA um, players? Should I have my daughters, you know, kind of interested in following? Like I said, uh, daughter one is gonna be 18 months. 
in a week and daughter two is 12 days old. So none of them. I have them following. None of them. None of them. None of them. None of them. They're too young. It's too young. They're too young for now. You know what the most important thing is? Just see if they see if they enjoy hitting golf. Like your 18 month old walking, walking around now, right? Having a good time. Oh, she, she's, she's running. That's perfect. So get her a little tiny golf club and let her start hitting golf shots. Occasionally put golf on television. You know what I mean? But right now I would, you don't want to start putting that on there. You don't want to put that on the radar. I will say this though, get her playing golf now, get her playing golf, but you don't want, don't go all in. It's too early to do that because what happens is by the time she's 12 or 13, she'll be burnt out already by that where if the only thing you focus on is her being able to have a golf club and go out and hit shots and have some fun. And the two of y'all spend time on the golf course. And then if she watches golf with you, you know, on TV on occasion and stuff like that, like let her make sure she comes to the game on her own and just kind of help her get to the game. But I'll tell you this, as long as she's playing and she loves the game and then plays kind of in, in going into high school and whatnot, then you're going to, she going to college for free. (laughs) <laughs> but that's why that's, that's, that's why you don't hope. that's yeah but that's why you also don't want to go all in too early i can't tell you how many times i've been down to the pga merchandise show in orlando and i have dudes come up to me with like nine and ten year old kids like man this we've been working every day for the past four years and you can see in the kid's face he's like yeah 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 and you go you know you want to say to those parents be like hey um why don't you do some research on somebody like Jennifer Capriati? <laughs> like, you know, you want to end up with your kid ending up getting high in a hotel room and stuff because they're so burnt out on stuff. Like, right, right. And especially, like, listen, if if do your research on the LPGA Tour. How many of the greatest golfers on the LPGA Tour do you hear of after the age of 30? There's a reason why. Like, golf is supposed to be a game of a lifetime. It's not supposed to be a game of work commitment carry the family until you're 30 and then hate the game hate the game like you don't right. you don't train a kid to hate the game by the time they're 30 because it should be something that you and your daughter can play 40 years from now and she that's that's the most for me at least that's the most important thing if she loves the game and gets to go to college for free and she ends up being able to make it to the LPGA tour. That's awesome. But I don't think that should ever be the goal. I think the goal is to be like, learn, learn a game that's going to do you great in life. And if you don't end up on the LPGA tour and you end up in business and you play golf and all these golf outings that are mostly all men, she's able to go to and do business stuff on the golf course as well. Brah, that's an even bigger win. Yeah, I I just want her to enjoy the game and have fun and be able to enjoy it with me. Well, then she should spend time playing golf with you. And on occasion, if you're watching golf on TV, she should watch too. But like if you, I tell, I try to tell people big time, watch most of us as amateur golfers, we will learn a lot more watching the LPGA than the PGA Tour. But quite honestly, it's hard to watch people do things that you know you can do. We enjoy watching people do things we can't do. 
I can't right. hit an eight iron 200 yards unless it hits five sprinkler heads and a squirrel, right? <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do that. So I want to see that. Like, I'm not going to hit a ball like Brayson DeChambeau. So I want to see it. I can hit a drive 255 yards. So you know how tedious it is sometimes to sit there and watch that, to see somebody do that over and over again and how right. boringly slow that tempo looks. But if you're going to play golf, that boring, slow tempo is exactly what you need. That's exactly what you need to learn. Because we, as amateur golfers, like, we're like, yo, I'm going to hit like Dustin Johnson. No, you're not. You're going to hold it too tight. You're going to turn and wind up, and you're going to take, like, a big chunk of grass that I can wear as a, a toothpick if I wanted to. Like, <laughs> nothing good's going to happen from that. So you'll learn a lot more watching the LPGA Tour, but it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to do because it's like that golf can seem tedious watching on television because you're like, right. yeah, okay, I get it. 150-yard six iron. Oh, I can do that. Well, right. you, you could, but you can't do it at the level that they do it at, and it would be good for you to learn to watch that tempo. And then you're like, well – I could make all those 15 and 20 footers for birdie that they make. And I don't, well, maybe I should be watching them do that. So <laughs> that's a, it's a great learning experience. And the most important thing that I think even now, a lot of the younger PGA tour pros have learned from the LPGA tour pros is how they interact with their fans. Every, every, every athlete, every major sporting market, should have to go watch the LPGA tour pros, how they are with their fans before and after a round. I have never seen so many people be so gracious to their fans after shooting 78, 77, because they understand that the people, the fans that are out there loving and enjoying what they do could care less what you shoot on the golf course. And there's a lot of athletes that can learn from that. The reason that people like you is is not – it's, yes, because what you can do on in your field of play, but also they're giving their time to you to like who they think you might be as a person. So it might be something that other athletes can learn to be like, hmm, if you took the time to wait for me after a game when I went 0 for 4 – where I went 0 for 15 shooting or I threw two interceptions and didn't throw any touchdown passes. But these right. people are still standing out here because they still like me of who, you know, they still like me. Right. And maybe I should give them the same love. Back. Right. What does that cost me? The same amount of time it costs them. Right. Great advice. Fantastic advice. All right. We're going to, Moving along here, we up next we've got Barrett. He's got a food question for you. Go ahead, Barrett. My man, Michael, I appreciate you giving us this extra time. That really, really does mean a lot. Thank you so much. Man, my pleasure. I'm so, on quarantine, man. I got nothing else to do. I'm not allowed to leave the hotel until my test comes back tomorrow. <laughs> so, and I, I have my nap. <laughs> it sounds good. Um, I also have a quick question about your comedy, too. So the okay. first one is, what's your favorite memory with a heckler? And then out of the entire Thanksgiving platter, what's the one side that can get the hell out of here? For me, it's cranberry. 
That's Ooh. just there's there's no need for any of that on my plate. Yeah, but are you talking about the cranberry that comes from a can or the real stuff? Man, well, it doesn't I've, matter. You don't it, even care. It, it, there's so much other greatness that I would rather stuff my face with. <laughs> that is true. No one ever goes to the fridge on Friday after Thanksgiving and be like, yo, where's the leftover cranberry? You know, that but turkey, turkey sandwiches, though. Yeah, but see, the, that's the thing about Friday. On Friday, you take the leftover turkey, put some mayonnaise with just a little bit of the real cranberry on there, too. Bruh. You going right back into the you got the itis again, bro. That's fast, man. You get the itis <laughs> quick. So my favorite, <laughs> my favorite heckler story. I got two. The first one I used to do a bit about uh, cats and dogs. A, a thing about how cats, dogs are better than cats, even though I've only had cats, <laughs> which I know sounds ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> So one of the parts of it, I would jump down and actually rub against somebody in the audience like cat, like I was a cat, right? Did that one time and this lady was drunk and she threw a drink on me. <laughs> oh, what? Yeah, she threw a drink on me. She was like, I'm not going to have no cat rubbing up on me in a comedy club. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I must be that good of an activist. She thought I was actually a cat. Like, like she thought... <laughs> If he threw water on me, like, oh, man, he just ran off, right? Like, so that part cracked me up. And I still had, I don't know, 30 minutes left in my set. So I still I had to do the rest of the set with a drink on my back, which was – and it was funny. Like, we played it up and whatnot, too, afterwards. And she was mad for a minute. And then, like, I, the fact that I made fun of it was okay. All right. Up next, yeah, we got steak. when it comes down to it. Absolutely. We got steak sauce in Albuquerque. Go ahead, steak sauce. Hey, Michael, it's Steak Sauce, man. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Anytime, man. I want to ask you, I never played golf before. I never picked up a golf club, but once the world gets normal Whoa. again, I'm, I'm going to Top Golf. <laughs> and uh, what, nice. are the chances, what are the chances I hit the ball if I actually just go up there and happy Gilmore that shit? <laughs> <laughs> so at, at Top Golf, here's the truth. If you put it on the tee at Top Golf and it's sitting up a little bit, and you try to happy give more, one out of four you'll hit. It's not going to be pretty, and it ain't going to be happy Gilmore like flying off into the sunset. Awesome. Yeah. It's probably either going to be like a snipe hook that might go in parking lot left. So make sure whoever's car you hit, they got good insurance, and make sure you look around like who did that. Make sure you got you got have that look like hey, what's going on, right? <laughs> take the hit for it but yeah i would say one out of four the happy gilmore you'll hit it and stuff but that's top golf is one of the greatest things that has ever happened to the game of golf because of how much fun it is it's in a bar setting there's music and stuff it's great to take dates to for people right. who have never swung a golf club before and and you're just swinging a golf club but you're playing all kinds of different games and then once you hit a couple of shots like you see guys hit on tv then you're going to be like, wait a minute, maybe, just maybe, do this. I also wanted to ask you real quick, uh, what's your Mount Rushmore of stand-up comedians? Oh, man. Okay. Tough, tough question. I know, man. Because, like, as a guy who did, like, man, and I still sneak on stage, it's still my therapy. Um, I would say... Richard Pryor, of course, 
is the like he's the godfather of he's he's the one um for me george carlin um is also on my mount rushmore i would put jonathan winters up there i go real old school because good choice, a, lot good of, choice. a lot of people would say robin williams but jonathan winters started that all like that the his ability to do improv on the spot if you just saw him on the street or if he walked onto a show and there was nothing, everything was improv. So his ability to think that fast on his feet um, still puts him as one of the most legendary ever. And my fourth, my fourth on route, Mount Rushmore. Man, that's so hard because there's so many really deserving comedians that should be up there. That might be it. I would say Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor, George Carlin, Jonathan Winters, and maybe I might. Oh man, Eddie Murphy. Yeah, I, yeah. Or Chris Rock. No, I mean Eddie, because Eddie Murphy, because Eddie was first. Like with if if there was no Eddie Murphy, there never would have been a Chris Rock. Right. So it for me it would almost be a tie between Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy for straight stand-up, but a guy who really gets overlooked in the comedy industry who used to do things with audience, Steve Martin. Steve Martin. Steve Martin, this is how this is how amazing Steve Martin was as a comedian. There's a story of Steve Martin taking an audience out of the comedy club and hiding them in a parking lot behind cars. And he was he acted like he was hitchhiking. 250 people out of a club with him during his set, had them hide behind the cars. <laughs> he acted like he was hitchhiking. And when someone pulled over, he was like, Hey, you mind me and my friend get a ride? Yeah, sure. Hey, he said it's okay. And 250 people get up and then the car takes off and they all that and then he takes them back into the comedy club and still does his set like that. Having that kind of control over a crowd and being able to have people stay with you for that amount of time and to do that, man. And then he was the ultimate showman where he could do vaudeville stuff and he was off the wall and funny and he could be quirky, but then he could do straight stand-up hardcore too. And he could say things that would make you think without thinking. So like, yeah, it would either be Steve Martin or Eddie Murphy would be, would be the fourth. I might even just, I, you know, I'll just start chiseling five heads up there. <laughs> I love it. Great answer. Great answer. All right. Up next, we've got Mike Ryan fan account. Go ahead, fan account. Hello. I have a bit of a wacky question. Which sports mascot would you pick to take on five velociraptors in the game of basketball? Uh, the velociraptors would have to play by all standard NBA rules. <laughs> <laughs> a sports mascot that's got to play five velociraptors in basketball. Yes, by by standard NBA rules. Yeah, that's the important. That's the important part. Like the ma- say, the mascot's just not going to be eaten. Yeah, they have to, with the arms, you know, and well, the little velociraptors go double dribble every time. They got the little. They go be double dribbling. The Velociraptor's not gonna be able, <laughs> not gonna cross nobody up. 
And you gonna throw an alley oop to a velociraptor? Boy, boy. <laughs> you never gonna be able to make the catch. <laughs> I'll have a yo. I'll have five velociraptors play the new uh, Philadelphia Flyers mascot because they won't be able to dribble that little creepy ass thing with the with the way that orange Furby moving all the time. <laughs> Can you imagine five Velociraptors? They can play the Philly Fanatic and the new Philly Flyers thing. Hell yeah. Forget it. Them or the, the grit, Gritty is his name, I believe, right? Yeah, Gritty. That's it. Yeah. Gritty would be the one. Yeah, that'd be funny. Either Fantastic. That they could play the Utah Jazz. They could do the Sasquatch-looking dude, too. Because the Velociraptors <laughs> just be mad they can't grow hair. And you got flowing locks coming down. You got arms. You ain't got no arms. That was a great... Michael, that has been the best response to that question yet. That was that was absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with you saying gritty though, because uh, we got a few more questions. I don't want to push right. you off of it. That was a beautiful answer. Thank you for that. Oh, All right. Awesome. Hot dog. I just got to California. I ain't even getting no California medicine yet. Hot dang. Well, my crying fan account might can help you out with that. Uh, I'm telling uh, you, bro. You know how stoned you got to be to come up with that question? I was he, like, he, where did that question come from? You, you were watching Jurassic Park. You'd be like, you know what? I'm going to tell you what. You know who can't, <laughs> you know who can't win? I'm going to tell you. Five velociraptors, you're going to like. <laughs> You know, oh, well. Pamela, you need to send some of that mac and cheese and crispy bacon down to Mike Ryan fan account. <laughs> All right. Uh, up next, we've got Stupak up in Detroit. I believe he's got a question for you. Go ahead, Stupak. Well, it seems that we're on the right subject, man, but thanks for coming. We appreciate the time. But since we talk about a little smoky smoke, how much can I make a little pudding pot or something like that? A pot and puff. How much could you make off of what? You think it's a market for like a pot and puff somewhere like a smoking and uh putt putt golfing or a golfing guy that allows smoke somewhere in like Denver or something uh, like that. Oh, I got uh. you. So a putt putt course that allows weed. Or it could be a regular golf course. Well, California, uh, right now, all the golf courses pretty much if you want <laughs> you're on a muni golf course, you're good to go. I you know what? Big man, facts. That ain't what might be cool is if you had edible golf balls. <laughs> that would be something you could sell. Some, get some edibles and shaped like golf balls, and you can sell them. Look, some of my friends, I don't, my boys, my uh, a couple of my boys. So George Lopez, Don Cheadle, Anthony Anderson. Um, there's a there's a few of my. They have something that's called the Brownie Cup, where they play nine holes straight and then they got to eat a brownie in the ninth fairway and it kicks in <laughs> on 10. And oh my you play God. Nine holes just baked. baked. <laughs> and that brownie cup has been transferred throughout a bunch of people for the last few years and stuff. And I have, I have yet to, I've been invited and have not been able to go or partake. Oh man. Oh I know. man. And it kills me that I haven't been able to go. So of course. I, one of these years I, I keep promising them, I'm going to come out there just to see it. This, that would be, that might be one of the funnest golf tournaments just to cover. Hell yeah. <laughs> it would be, 
Hell yeah. You know? So would you say it's an a for performance enhancer? No, we no that we, <laughs> we laughed about that all the time. Like when they were saying, you know, does is weed a performance enhancer and stuff? No, there's no way. Like beta blockers, maybe God no, but weed, nah. Uh-uh. Even if you <laughs> even if you microdose, the problem is, especially in golf, in golf, a part of you needs to care. Like you need that adrenaline push to lock you in to ride that razor's edge. And the problem with weed is weed dulls that edge. So yes, when you're playing golf, I'm sure if you're playing golf and you smoke weed, then you're just like, you know, yo, this, this putt could win, you know, $2 million. And you'd be like, I don't, whatever, I don't care. <laughs> but if weed has already got you to the point where you're like, I don't care, then it's like, yo, what do you like here, six iron? And you be like, yo, I like, I like Doritos. I like, I like, <laughs> I like French fries. You be like, man, I need you to hit a shot here. Yeah. So you want, you want a shot of whiskey or you want a shot? You be like, oh no, we're done. We got no chance. So the thought of that, like even, because the problem is you can't, there's no way to, there's, there's no way to know what the dosage would be that would put you in the right place to have a little bit of both and and for that you can't have nothing in a tournament it would be cool to have it would be <laughs> it would be kind of funny to have a tournament like that though you know let's Hell just yeah see. it would be we know who the greatest golfers in the world are sober who's the greatest right. golfers if they all did? <laughs> everybody had to smoke like kryptonite everybody gets a little kryptonite <laughs> joints. one in the beginning one at the turn and let's see what happens at the end well, of the Stupak, Stupak is definitely the uh, the idea man of our crew. He is he is forever. Stupak right coming. now is coming up with golf ball edibles. I'm telling you, he's hell yeah! Right now. I I just love hey, the name. Uh, pu- you know, Puff Putt is let's is go just play a Puff Putt. Yeah, Puff Putt is beautiful, beautiful, fantastic question, Stupak. All right, we're gonna Imagine keep trying to say that though. If you stoned. Hey man, what you going to do? All right, Michael Collins. We're going to end it with our man Lou Rafter. He's the gentleman you've probably noticed moving back, you know, back and forth in his workshop. Uh, I'm going to throw it to him right quick. Go ahead, Lou. What's up, Michael? This is uh, at Stugatz Army 790. So, what's something really cool I think about what our podcast does is that uh, what you saw me doing is that uh, I was making you a custom hat as we are doing this so uh i also have a yes or no question once we're done but here it is oh yeah so we got i don't know if you can see it but i took your beard yes and made it yes oh hell yeah (laughs) oh hell yeah then it's got the little laughter hour on the side so it was good. So I, I, I was, I was, I was trying to figure. out, I was like, I mean, I hope this is beard will work out because, like, I, I, I've, I've had a beard most of my life, and I just trimmed Seriously? it. Seriously, like, yeah, oh yeah. Man, Love beard. I, this is relatively new. The only thing I, I had my mustache since I was twelve, but <laughs> the beard part was real new. Only time I, when I was twelve and thirteen, I, they wanted me to do a commercial as an elf one time, and they were like. You got to shave your mustache. And I was like, yeah, no, nah, I ain't doing that. And I had this little peach fuzz. So they makeup on my lip because I wouldn't right. shave my mustache because I was scared at 12 years old, it might not come back. You don't know. 
Yeah. But the beard happened because I, this is a shout out to, to my stepdad uh, who passed away. And he always had a beard. So as an honor to him, I grew the beard out after he passed away. And I was like, I'm going to keep this beard for like a year. Yeah, and I then, saw that. Sorry, yeah, way back I in saw the day. that tweet. Yeah. yeah, way back in the day. So the problem was <laughs> me and Maddie had a bet for the podcast one time. We played a golf match together. And the bet was we played 18 holes. And if he won, I had to shave everything. And if I won... He had to show the tattoo that he's trying to get removed. And so we put it out there. So we were playing golf, and I'm getting messages from people. Don't you even think about shaving that beard off. I'm like, what are you talking <laughs> about? And he, my, my, all of my friends and my wife were like, "That's everyone knows you by your beard. And I have right. had people come up and say, you were that guy, and I saw the beard, and I knew it was you. I knew it was you, because no one else, to, like, the way Someone asked me one time if I colored like that on purpose. <laughs> you know, I got time consuming that would be. <laughs> so I didn't realize how high maintenance beards were. I just started finding out. But beard, beard people come out of the woodworks. Like, I know, crispy. That beard is just, that's like Archie Bradley-esque. And Archie, <laughs> he was the first one who turned me on to product. Archie Bradley, yeah. pitcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks. I was out okay. at an event. And Archie was like, bro, your beard is luscious. Say Ryan Fitzpatrick, NFL Hell quarterback. Yeah. Hell and yeah. his beard is amazing. Yes, it is. They were like, listen, you got to get yourself some beard oil and some balm and butter. And I was like, I shaved my head so I don't need hair care products. Now you tell me I got to go get beard <laughs> products. and oil. Come on, man. Are you serious? But they were right. It works, man. It works. I was, so, I was gonna let our, I was gonna let our listeners know this. Not only our funniest guest, but our, our by a mile, our most beautiful guest with that bald head and that thick beard. Uh, you know, just you're and, only saying that because me and you match. Oh, shut up! No, I'm not. No, I am not. <laughs> yeah, you are. Yeah, yes, you are. Yes, I, yeah. I use a little. You know, if you little... had an afro and were clean shaved, <laughs> you'd be like, "Man, nah, it's been all right." And talk, mm. <laughs> I well, you you can't prove that, so I'm gonna call you a liar. Um, I use a little bit of coconut oil on my beard, uh, and that's it. But uh, I get oh, the same wow. questions, the same questions you just said about like, hey, do, uh, you know, do you color the ends of your beard or like? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Why I would, would I spend? Why would I do that? Why would I do that? All right, and we're gonna go out to beat count one more time. I believe he's got a uh, uh, kind of a fantasy question for you. Go ahead, beat count. Yeah, again, Michael, thanks a lot for your time tonight. Really do appreciate you coming on with us. Um, this is going to be rapid fire. So first things that come to your mind here. So okay. this is a two part question as well. So part one, right. who is your dream foursome right now and living or dead? Uh, you know, you can do living dead. You can do sports entertainment. You can even maybe do someone that's on this podcast right now talking to you. So <laughs> in golf, right? <laughs> little, little Stugats and everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody on this podcast you dream of having a big nah. Nah. First time being on the shows. Do you dream of playing golf with us? Not yet. No, not yet. Um so my dream if I if I just had a, the overall dream foursome of to play with anybody ever, uh I wanna play I wanna play with George Lopez, 
Um, I want to play with Barack Obama. I've never, I've, George and I have been friends forever, played golf a bunch. He's one of my favorite people in the whole world. And him and I just always have fun together on the golf course, talking life and everything about it. So I want George, uh, I want Barack Obama because I've never played golf with him, but I know he's a pretty good golfer, but also like the stories that he could tell and the fun that we could have together. Um, he would be number two. I'd like to play two others in the foursome. You could lie and say one more. So it'd be you could you, you could lie and has. say beat count if you wanted to, just <laughs> yeah, just to make him feel good. <laughs> no, no, because everyone would know I was lying, and all That's I true. all I got is my genuineness. They'd be like, "Man, he did so good until that time. That one question, he just had to lie at the end of that one question." I would say George, uh, Barack Obama, and. <laughs> I don't know if he, I mean, golf wasn't invented back then, but I want to play with Jesus. I want him to play too. <laughs> That'd be a miracle. Not for, pride, not for the reasons everybody would think, though. No. Everybody would think, oh, he played with Jesus to get all the teachings. Nah, I want to play with Jesus so I can get the truth. Be like, come on, tell me how to, tell me about how it all really went down. Right? Like, talk to me, dude. Tell me what happened. You know, like, they told you I what? No, man. Oh, that is okay. That's Bro, he'd exactly be excellent it. on water hazards. Just be walking That's what I'm right saying. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. If you, yeah, I would like to, you know, I would love to, I would love to play with, yeah, I think that would be, again, because I'm so curious and I have so many questions and I'm not afraid to like, just, tell, you know, I'm going to ask you, tell me the truth. Tell me the truth, you know? So that would be, that would be fascinating because imagine like this imagine the stories that barack obama could tell you knowing too that like i could never tell anyone the stories that he told me right like i i met condoleezza rice when she was sitting um attorney um secretary secretary of state right and she almost got me shot Literally what? the second time I met her. Yeah, second time. So I had met her before. <laughs> We'd done an interview before. I actually got, when she was Secretary of State, I got her to call a live golf shot on XM on the PGA Tour Network. Live on the air, I got the Secretary of State to call a golf Whoa. shot. She was golf nut. So the next year, when she was back at the tour, it was at Congressional, she was there and I had to do another interview with her. And so she was doing an interview with someone else and I was standing there waiting. Secret Service, everybody's around and stuff like that. So the fin she finishes the interview, and they those people walk off. So she sees me, and she goes, hey, you. She goes like this, like, come on, give me a hug. And I was like, hey, long time. And I go to step in and give her a hug. And one of the Secret Service agents I see to her left, to my right, reaches behind his jacket slowly. Oh just his God. hand real slow starts going. And I just stop. <laughs> And was like, uh. <laughs> and she goes, come here. And I was like, yeah, that's easy for you to say. You say, come here. But if I make the wrong move, like I wake up in a foreign country and I don't have a birth certificate or a social security number <laughs> and no one's ever heard of my ass before. <laughs> Maybe last. But it's just kind of, in a way, mm, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Right, missing a kidney too. That's exactly right. 
just wake up. I got no kidney, no social security card, no birth certificate and stuff. Hey, if anybody could make that happen, it would have been her for sure. That's what I'm saying. But she and she was wonderful. She's I mean, she's a scream. Look, she was she was awesome. She rushed the court. She told me a story about her and Tiger Woods, because they're both Stanford alums. And they uh-huh. both rushed the court at a basketball game when Stanford beat, I think, I think it was either UConn or Duke uh-huh. in a big game. Can you imagine like Tiger Woods <laughs> and the Secretary of State rushing the court in Stanford, Holy jumping cow. around with all the college kids? I'm telling Seriously. you. Seriously. That's golf, man. I'm telling you, golf is in everything. Hell yes, it is. Hell yes, it is. Well, that has been absolutely the lesson tonight. And uh, when uh, we would love down the road to have you on again sometime and to maybe just talk, I don't know, comedy this time, because it sounds like your stories from the road are are just as fascinating (laughs) as your stories uh, from golf. Uh, That was a perfect blend of both of them tonight. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Michael Collins, America's Caddy. We could not be any more thrilled than uh than than to have you on tonight and for your time you were so gracious with it uh on the no worries three, man can i get a thank you michael from everybody on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you, michael Thank y'all. Thank y'all very much for having me on, man. This has been an absolute blast to tell me. It was a, a long, tough day of travel, so this has made it much, much better, man. And anytime. Anytime. This was a lot of fun. I don't know how, I don't know if I'm going to be able to sleep tonight thinking about this little Velociraptor crap. <laughs> Mike Ryan made my night, yo, with the freaking Velociraptor. Oh. Five on five basketball. That's <laughs> amazing. That's I gotta amazing. go down to the front right now. How far is the green door from here? I need to go to the shop. <laughs> All right. Places, Michael Collins. <laughs> Thank you again. DM me if you do. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on with us. You have a wonderful evening. Uh, a great rest of your week and have fun covering Thank the PGA you. this week championship. I will. I will. All right. Thanks again for having me on. We'll talk to y'all soon. Thank Thanks, you, sir. Appreciate it. Have a great Michael. Night. Appreciate the time. See y'all later. Yo, shit, that was so good. Dude, oh my god, that dude is so fucking dope. Dude, that was my oh. favorite one so far. That's oh. my favorite. Seriously. So good. Yo, and and I just kind of threw him out there as as just kind of a a joke because you know I I saw his uh, Instagram live story he was doing turn and I was like you know he'd be fun to get on. I oh, never man. thought that you guys would say like. Yeah, Let's really, get him. He's dope. I, I didn't that know who was, he was until this morning, and that was fucking amazing. I'm obsessed fire, with that guy now. Fire emoji. Yeah. That dude, that dude, and you know why he's so good? It's because of his his background in comedy. Comedy, yeah. yeah. That's that that dude. That dude has had a million and one conversations with drunk people in bars. Knows how to charm the shit out of people, and God Almighty, damn, that dude is amazing i love that guy i would take a bullet for that dude right now <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's why he's america's caddy yeah, I, do, yes, I, I, I do i do wonder if he's ever pooped his pants though Me too. <laughs> yeah bruce come on bruce, man, it's, just gotta I can't, it, it's just hard to get in man it's just I, <laughs> Now that 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 hat is phenomenal. That is so yeah. creative. That's, that that's hat, awesome. Bruce. And, and that his that was, was such amazing. a phenomenal design. Yeah. Oh, he was, was so, he was I mean, so stoked. 
He was so damn stoked. Yeah. I got I got some screenshots of him of him like what what uh, uh, like like he, like I I, I I capture those which I want to share them right now but I'm not going to obviously but. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lauer After Hours. You can always reach us on Twitter at Lauer After Hours or Instagram at Lauer After Hours. We're available wherever you get podcasts, so don't forget to download, subscribe, review, and rate five stars. If you have a family relying on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. That's where Policy Genius comes in. In minutes, Policy Genius could save you 50% or more simply by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. To save on life insurance and get protection for you and your family, head to policygenius.com today.